This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. This podcast is sponsored by RMA's annual Risk Management Conference. Attend this year's premier event, October 27 through 29, in New Orleans to hear the best practices for managing today's top risks. Visit rmahq.org for details. This is Bernie Mason, RMA's regulatory liaison. Recently, RMA received a member inquiry seeking clarification regarding the regulatory agency's 2013 leverage lending guidance. The question was presented to the regulators, and I would now like to provide the regulatory responses for the benefit of the broader membership. Regarding the 2013 leverage lending guidance, in 2014, the agencies issued frequently asked questions regarding the guidance and included the statement that leveraged lending multiples should be calculated at origination based on committed debt, including additional debt that the loan agreement may permit. The RMA member questioned whether there is any flexibility in the leverage calculation as it relates to certain scenarios and provided some examples. I will cite these examples and convey the regulatory responses. The first scenario relates to acquisition lines that are set up for future acquisitions. And the question is how to calculate the pro forma funded debt to earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization or EBITDA, if the future pro forma EBITDA cannot be calculated until the line is drawn down. The regulators responded that if the amount of the additional debt can be quantified, that is, if there is a maximum loan amount available, even if the drawdown amount is discretionary on the part of the borrower, then the maximum additional amount should be included for the initial measurement of whether a borrower is leveraged or not, per the bank's definition. Repayment capacity is measured against outstanding debt, but the determination of whether a borrower is leveraged occurs at origination or renewal modification and does include committed debt. Now, if there is additional debt that can be incurred, but it's dependent on say, the borrower achieving a certain level of EBITDA or a lower leverage level, then that amount of additional debt is unknown and should not be added to the debt calculation at inception to determine whether the borrower is leveraged or not. The second scenario is a seasonal line of credit, and the question is should the funded debt, the full commitment, be included in the leverage calculation if the facility includes a clean-down provision, leverage covenants, or things of that nature. The regulators responded by saying that the funded portion of the debt on a line of credit should be included in the leverage calculation. Regulators have viewed that lines of credit vary as to their controls. Some may be very strong, but some may not have advanced controls for a typical asset-backed loan. 
Ultimately, total debt repayment is dependent on available cash flow of the borrower. Therefore, regulators want to evaluate in line with the leverage lending guidance that the borrower has the ability to delever to a sustainable level within a reasonable period of time, say five to seven years. Now, the loan agreements likely have their own specific calculations for covenants and other purposes, and those are suitable for the bank to calculate its own covenant compliance or other measurements. But when regulators evaluate repayment, the cash flow available after other required cash outlays is what the regulators look for to assess debt repayment capacity against total funded debt. The last scenario scenario is an operating line of credit. And the question is, would there be any flexibility as it relates to excluding an operating line of credit when reviewing the eligibility of a leveraged loan? Regulators say no, they do not view that an operating line of credit should be excluded when making the determination of whether a borrower is leveraged or not. They do have an exception in the guidance, which they cite as footnote 5, wherein they state that this guidance is not meant to include asset-backed loans unless such loans are part of the entire debt structure of a leveraged obligor. And the thought process here is consistent with the earlier comments. If there is an asset-backed loan debt or operating line of credit and the borrower has other debt, enough to meet the bank's internal leverage definition, the operating line of credit should be included as debt that the borrower has incurred and may be required to be repaid through cash flow. This information will be posted on the regulatory page of RMA's website. Anyone having further questions on these matters just covered are invited to contact me at bmason at rmahq.org. I also invite members to contact me with inquiries and questions regarding any other issues of supervisory or regulatory concern so that they may be properly addressed by appropriate regulatory authorities. And I will advise that we never identify institutions when discussing these issues with regulators. Thank you very much for listening.